I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers on the R. Kelly Media Circus and whether he can get a fair trial. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Lisa Evers, official with the blue check mark, not the bootleg accounts. And you can catch up on all of our Street Soldiers episodes, both Hot 97 Radio and Fox 5 TV free of charge on my website, lisaevers.com. You can also subscribe to our Street Soldiers podcast on Apple Music iTunes, so make sure you check that out. Now, since the docuseries Surviving R. Kelly aired, the multi-platinum R&B star has been indicted on 10 counts of felony sex abuse, been in and out of jail twice, and is now reportedly the target of at least three separate criminal investigations in Chicago, New York, and Atlanta. It seems barely a day goes by without news of some new accusation or alleged outrage. Most recently, a man's claim he found an old VHS tape in his home from the 1990s showing R. Kelly allegedly sex, sexually abusing at least two young girls. We're at a point now where anything involving R. Kelly's name is instant news, so we have to ask, with the R. Kelly Media Circus, can he really get a fair trial? Let's find out what our panel has to say. Joining me is Julio Rivera. He's a political columnist, a media consultant, and Republican strategist. Julio, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for Thank having me, so Lisa. Much. And uh, also joining us is Rochelle Ritchie. She's a political analyst and former congressional press secretary. Rochelle, great to have you with us. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Lance Clark. He's a criminal defense attorney with Bernstein, Clark, and Moskowitz. Thank you all for being with us for this topic. Thank you. Rochelle, as you look at this case, what strikes you about the media coverage? Well, it's a media circus, like you said. I think that, you know, but it would be sort of irresponsible for any network not to watch that Lifetime docuseries and then, you know, spin it into uh, an additional story, as we saw with Gail King. I think what's unfortunate, though, is that there are so many other issues in regards to sexual abuse, uh, particularly in the black community, that are not being addressed because the person committing those crimes is not R. Kelly or, you know, is not Michael Jackson. I mean, if you look at the Bureau of Justice statistics, you know, one in six men are sexually assaulted. And those statistics also show that a majority of those victims are African-American men in low-income communities, such as the one that R. Kelly grew up in in Chicago. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. And so I think that, you know, while, yes, we should, you know, really, you know, focus in on the fact that R. Kelly was allegedly sexually abusing girls, I think the uh, bigger part of the conversation we should also be having is the sexual abuse that he experienced, because we know that the abused also become abusers. They tend to become abusers. Right. Julio, when you look at this spectacle, what about the R. Kelly case makes it such an amazing, uh, so amazingly attractive to the media? Well, I mean, and the this public is, too, because if people weren't yeah. watching it, we wouldn't be doing it. Well, we live in a society right now where we make heroes out of regular people. I mean, we have people know more about Rob Kardashian than they know about members of their own family. All these reality shows and reality series. And um, in America, we like to build people up and make them into heroes. You know, so when they come down, when they come crashing down, you know, it becomes a spectacle that everybody wants to take a look at. But I'm more concerned, and to speak to your point, we don't know necessarily whether or not R. Kelly ever was necessarily sexually abused. But what we do see here is a pronounced pattern of this type of behavior. You know, this is not the, the first allegations that have surfaced against R. Kelly. You know, I mean, I, I definitely don't like to see him portrayed as a victim here. I mean, the victims here are truly the underage girls. And, you know, I, I would say also, in addition to that, as a caveat, 
that, you know, the parents of these children are just as culpable as R. Kelly in this because they've exposed their kids to, to danger, I think, by letting, letting them around R. Kelly. So this is hitting every, every possible nerve in society. Yes, more, yeah, definitely, because, I mean, this is an issue that families have to deal with. We have to be careful. I have a 16-year-old daughter, I mean, and I certainly would never allow her to be, you know, with a grown man un, you know, unsupervised for a long period of time the way these parents seem to have. Uh, allowed for their children to spend all this time with R. Kelly. And listen, a lot of times the parents get blinded by the, you know, the fame and the fortune and, and the lifestyle and, and, and things gonna, like that. But, talk, that's, but that's not fair to the children. At well, the end. And we're, we're going to talk about you know? that because about what, what the real issues, as Rochelle said, that are getting kind of obscured by this whole thing. Lance, when you look at the whole legal aspect of this, what's really, the, what are the real legal cases? And then what are all these accusations that are flying around in the media? How do you sort through that? Well, from a legal standard, uh, the media circus tends to turn into a trial by media, which potentially has the possibility of undermining a courtroom. And when that happens, then it gives, it takes away the defendant's Sixth Amendment right to uh, unbiased juror. When you have things in the media that are there months and years, how does this person not be affected by that? How do you expect this person to go into that courtroom and look solely at the facts that the judge says that you have to look at without thinking about what you heard in the cooler room, what you heard at your work, what you read, what you saw. And we put a lot of pressure on these jurors to not bring in their life stories into the courtroom and what they've seen, read, and heard for so long. And when you have these media circuses, it tends to then take away from the power of the courtroom and puts it in the hands of the media. Rochelle, you were the spokesperson for the state's attorney in Baltimore at the time of the whole Freddie Gray tragedy. Um, I was there in Baltimore during the, the incidents on the streets that were happening on the streets. What kind of pressure does this media put on prosecutors when you're in a high-profile trial? Well, you know, really quickly, I, I want to go back or to something. Case. I want to go back to something that, that we, we were talking about with the and media circus. And guys, please circus. feel free to jump in, I, too. I think that um, the media circus is also the fault of R. Kelly's publicist and his attorney. There is no reason that he should have been sitting down with Gail King. And furthermore, if you're a good publicist or an attorney and you're sitting in that room and you see your client starting to get a little emotional, starting to get a little bit irate, you're going to say, you know, I, I was a former reporter, you're going to say, stop the cameras for a second, I need to talk to my client. Right. And you're going to pull them out of the room. We need a moment. You're going to bring them back down. But the idea of continuing to let the cameras continue to roll while he mm. had this sort of outburst was really a disservice. See, what about that, I, I think, What I about that? Some people I thought that was, was a brilliant no, move. It was that horrible. That's what it, it was exactly. horrible from a legal Well, okay, standpoint. one time. So you, what do well, you no, think? Well, no, I think Some he was trying to was change the move. narrative and try to control the narrative. by Because if you listen to what he was saying, I mean, to me, it looked like it sounded... Even his tonality when he was yelling, it almost reminded me of those Mr. Big songs. But I'm not talking about what R. Kelly thing, did. I'm talking about what his publicist and I understand, but I think it was by Let's design. Talk about that moment, though. What he wanted to do was you he wanted to cast calculated. blame. Yes, I thought he wanted to cast blame on the parents, make it look like they're being opportunistic. He said it, that these parents said that we're going to ruin your career. So right there, he's trying to curry sympathy. And, I, and by, quite frankly, I don't feel that he's entitled to any sympathy, but I think it was done by design. What, well, Lance, think, what about that? I think it was a horrible, horrible decision on the part of his legal team and PR team. When you see this interview, I think he's more concerned with R. Kelly, the artist, than Robert Kelly, the defendant. Yep. Now, any defense attorney would hate to have their client go on the media and give these statements, especially when you have pending accusations, spending 
I believe there's another investigation in the Eastern District of New York. There are other investigations in other states. You have all these potential cases that are out there, and all you're doing is putting fuel to the fire. And any defense attorney just sitting there holding their head like, what are you doing? Keep your mouth closed. But you can't. And that's kind of how it was for me when I was at the state's attorney's office. Um, when we went to um, have the press conference um, where the state's attorney pressed the charges against the six Baltimore police officers, my, you know, as a spokesperson and director of communications, my idea was knock out all the media coverage today. And then after that, we go behind closed doors because you don't want to sort of paint this image of being an opportunist by continuing to do, you know, a lot of media coverage. Now, that was not necessarily what happened. You know, there were people higher up than me that sort of, you know, made other decisions that I personally would not have made. Um, but I think that prosecutors are not motivated by media coverage to press charges. I think prosecutors are motivated motivated by evidence and, you know, by their pursuit of justice. Okay, we we're, we're going to pick up, we got to take okay. a short break. We're going to okay. pick up on that point because some people thought in Chicago, a lot of the timing of everything was from the media pressure. We'll talk about that. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Yo, Safari checking in live, and you know that outside is cold weather. Nobody else do it better, and she don't do cheap leather. That's why I'm here rocking with Lisa Evers. Street! Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the R. Kelly media circus. Is there any way, given everything that's happened, that he could possibly get a fair trial? That's what we're talking about with our panel. Joining me is Julio Rivera. He's a political columnist, a media consultant, and Republican strategist. Julio, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much again for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Rochelle Ritchie. She's a, she's a political analyst and also former Congressional Press Secretary. Rochelle, great to have you with us. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Lance Clark. He's a criminal defense attorney with Bernstein, Clark, and Moskowitz. Lance, great to have you with us. Thanks so much, Lisa. Thank you. Rochelle, you say when you were in 2015 at the state's attorney's office in Baltimore during the whole Freddie Gray uh, situation, that the media and the what was being said, because that was a very big case under national scrutiny, it didn't play a role in what the prosecutors did? No, absolutely not. The state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, decided to charge those officers because of the evidence that she had at the time. Uh, the media was not an influence. The violence in the streets that was happening, the riots and everything, was not an influence on her decision to press those charges. And I think what we're starting to see um, with these high-profile cases, such as the one with R. Kelly, you know, Kimberly Fox, when she came out and gave her, her statements about the charges, she was very direct. She did not have any sort of emotional reaction to it. She did not give her personal or imply any sort of personal um, biases in her statement. And she read the charges and she left. And so I think that is sort of the, the image that we expect to see from prosecutors right, when but we're trying that's to think the image, that they're being. Right, but that, that's the image. But a lot of people were saying, well, why did this happen so soon after the docuseries aired? And why didn't this air before, especially since these were such old charges? Lance, what do you think about that? You know, I think that's a specific instance what happened in Baltimore. I, I don't think that's the norm. When you look at what happened in Chicago, the young man that was killed, and they suppressed that tape for about a By year. By the police officer. Until they came out. Laquan McDonald, thank you. Um, if there wasn't public pressure, would there have been any charges? Look at the Walter Scott situation in South Carolina. Had not there been any public pressure, would there be any charges? I think we give prosecutors too much credit I don't want to say too much credit. They deserve credit. But I think we give prosecutors too much credit to say that they would do these things but not for uh, political force or but not for media coverage because the, the media does move things these days. Someone posts one meme, 
someone else retweets that one meme and then a thousand people read it a day and then it gets to higher ups and they say, hey, well, we have to do something about this. Julio, what about that? Because, it, I mean, the public pressure, prosecutors can only do, there's so many cases. There's, mm -hmm. They can only do but so much. What did you think as you looked at what happened in Chicago where after the docuseries, now these charges, these very old charges, you know, are brought up? Well, I mean, I think that it, it may have been some opportunistic timing, you know, as far as for people who actually uh, have claims against him now. Because you got to remember, too, if you look down the history, there were a lot of women that received uh, financial settlement from R. Kelly. So that was a prime opportunity for people to put pressure on him on the heels of the docuseries. Now, you know, anything that may have been con done that was considered, a, you know, a civil day, a civil tort, you know, that you, you wind up getting paid out of it is different than actually breaking the law. Like, you know, if he, if he had sex with underage women, he videotaped it, held them against their will, anything like that should justifiably be investigated by prosecutors and by the police department. So I'm hoping that, you know, no, whatever I think actually every, happened. I don't think it, there's anybody that the would facts. say just people should be able to get away with, with child sex abuse. Yeah, but exactly. Lance, what about the statute of limitations on this? Because yeah, people I was were. wondering about that too. And, and what do you guys well, think about yeah, that? Just, just in full disclosure, I don't. I don't practice in Illinois, but I do believe that it's 20 years from the date that the minor turns 18. So I think they have until the age of 38 uh, to bring forward these charges. So a lot of these charges, to the best of my ability, I think they're 10 years old or so. But if the minor was 15 or 16, you know, then they turn 18 two years plus another 20 years, I think they're well within the statute of limitations with the disclosure that I don't practice in the state of Illinois. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also a question as far as, because I know he has these other uh, charges in other states where it's being investigated, so it's also the age of consent, because I think the age of consent right. is very different in Illinois to Georgia to New York uh, to Pennsylvania and wherever else he may have had these alleged sexual acts with young girls. So I think that is going to be a, a huge factor in all of this. And when you watch that docuseries, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a part in there that I think should have got more attention, and this was the it was a juror that said that he just didn't like the victims. He just didn't like the girls. I don't know if you remember that, but he was basically talking about how he didn't like the way they dressed. And it was a, a quick little blurb in there where they had talked to a member of the, the jury. And that was really concerning to me because you, this juror was not supposed to be in there deciding who he liked and who he didn't like. He was supposed to be looking at the evidence and deciding if there, if he could find with, you know, unreasonable doubt that this man was guilty. And that's not what happened. That's perfect. And in a perfect world, that's what happened. But in reality, that, that's never, ever, ever what happens. The juror is looking at how the lawyer dressed, how the defendant is dressed. Why is the defendant sitting in that chair? You know, the presumption of innocence is just the words, the presumption of innocence. When a juror walks into a room, they're not sitting in the defendant's chair, so they're saying, he must have done something because I'm not sitting there. So to say that someone is presumed innocent are just words. To say that the person holding the scales of justice blindfold is just a statue that we see when we go in the courtroom, these things are not they supposed to matter, and sometimes they do matter. But the things that really do matter is how the juror feels about a particular person. You know, I can have many cases where I've won, and it's because jurors felt more comfortable with the defense team than they did with the prosecutors. It's just it's angry. just the way it goes. It's just these uncontrollable. I'm talking about women that no, are. That no, are and, that, and that's something yeah, that with was... sex crimes. It's always where it's put on the victim. The, the you know, the pressure is put on the victim and the blame is put on the victim. Kind of and she wasn't a, even there. That was the other thing. She wasn't there. So this, I, I don't know who he was judging his, you know, making these judgments. No, it's, it's wrong, but it's realistic. It, it, yeah. It's wrong. It shouldn't happen. It's very bad. 
but also it's realistic. Uh, some mm. some people say with a child pornography case where R. Kelly was acquitted, and we mm. have to point out he was has never been convicted mm. of a, of a crime like this. Accused now, and we'll see what happens. But was he? You know, was the fact that the the victim the the victim wasn't there, and the parents weren't involved? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, with him, it's just there's a pronounced pattern of this type of behavior. But as far as he was acquitted, and you have to take that into consideration. But I just think that there's just uh, a laundry list of other things like these, un like these out of court, uh, you settlements. know, settlements. You know, maybe if that information, obviously, mo most of the time these things are sealed. But I think that that information, if there was p a possibility that those records could be subpoenaed, just to shed more light on context because i mean you've got multiple criminal investigations going on right now and if obviously if a grand jury was able to return charges on him then obviously there has to be evidence that he did do something well, Rochelle that's, that's, oh, go, go that's ahead. not actually well if a grand jury returns an indictment that just means there's probable cause to go forward on the case and we've all heard you know you can prosecute an indicted hand sandwich because the burden of proof is just so so low probable cause is is it possible that he did it? And if it's possible that he did it, that's all it is. It, is it possible that this person did this? And that's what probable cause is. That doesn't mean they're guilty because when once you go to trial, it's guilty. You have proof beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a much higher burden. But just because someone is indicted, it's not indicative of anything, of any wrongdoing that was done. It just I, means there was an probable understand. cause to go Listen, forward. Listen, I understand we all have a right to be considered innocent until proven guilty, but there's just way too much mounting evidence and circumstantial evidence and claims against this guy. And why would he go out and pay out these financial settlements unless he had done something? Rochelle, what about what about the just the volume and the amount of claims that are coming out now? I do not think that R. Kelly is going to be convicted of sexual abuse. I think R. Kelly is going to actually be convicted for some of the maybe the financial crimes that he's facing because of the statute of limitations. I think one of the some of the girls are between 1998 to 2010. And so if those girls um, are 38, 39, 40 years old at this point, if the statute of limitations has ran out, then he's going to beat that. I think, if anything, he's going to probably uh, be convicted more for the financial side of things. And I, and unfortunately uh, for him, that's, that's beating the system, you know, possibly again. In, term, in terms of in that? In terms of sexual child abuse. What do you think about that, Liz? Uh, it's my understanding, I believe, that the Eastern District is looking into a case against uh, R. Kelly for, I believe it's the Mann Act. If you bring uh, someone over state underage, lines. Underage, right. Yeah, state it, well, it's not even underage. For immoral purposes. Oh, for yes. immoral, okay. For, for Im Jack, oh, thank you. Jack Johnson was uh, convicted yes, of this. And he was just recently pardoned by, for that. By, by yeah. President Trump. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so wow. if you bring, yeah, and that was insane for that. But if you bring <laughs> someone over state lines Across for an immoral line. purpose, and an immoral purpose could be, you know, having sex with an underage woman, then you're guilty of the Mann Act. And I think that's a penalty up to 10 years in prison. A federal crime. All right. Yeah. And we did talk to the Eastern District, and they declined comment on anything to do with this period, whether there's even an investigation mm. and that, that's going on. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be right back. Hey, yo, this is Pat Post with Lisa, Lisa Evers. Put, Put your thinking caps on. on. Street, Street Soldiers. soldiers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the R. Kelly Media Circus. Can he get a fair trial? Joining me for this conversation, Julio Rivera. He's a political columnist, a media consultant, and Republican strategist. Julio, great to have you with us. Thank you again. 
Thank you so much. Also joining us is Rochelle Ritchie. She's a political analyst and former congressional press secretary. Rochelle, great to have you. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Lance Clark. He's a criminal defense attorney with Bernstein, Clark, and Moskowitz. Lance, great to have you with us. Thanks a lot, Lisa. When you look at R. Kelly in terms of the Gail King interview, was he delusional, Rochelle? Um, I think that he is in denial of his actions. I think that that's what he is. And, and you know, I want to, you know, I had said this, you know, earlier, um, you know, in, in, uh, in the show about the, the sexual abuse of men. And I think that R. Kelly is one that, you know, I'm not trying to paint him as a victim at all because he's, he's not a victim in this, but he is a victim of sexual abuse. They talked about it, it talked about it in the docuseries. His brother talked about the sexual abuse. R. Kelly has talked about the sexual abuse that he's experienced. And I think what you're seeing is that I think he is a man that literally does not understand that having relationships with young girls is wrong because of possibly what happened to him when he was a child. And when you see that these, there were no boundaries there. Like there's the no boundaries like the boundaries where him. a father will so tell his son. So when they talk son, about the sexually explicit things that happened between him and, and the other girls and and everyone's like, this seems like this is crazy. I really think it's because for him, of there his are warped no reality. boundaries. And because of his warped, these experiences. You cannot, you cannot shake your head. You, you have to mm -hmm. understand that when, that when people are victims of sexual assault as a child, I've been a victim of sexual assault, sometimes the abused become abusers. And we have to acknowledge that. Now, does that negate you know, what happened to what, what he's allegedly done? Absolutely not. But we have to start having this conversation, especially mm -hmm. in low-income African-American communities where statistics show that those young boys are more likely to be sexually abused than any other demographic. Okay, but he's gone through the criminal process. You know, but he was what acquitted, about the therapeutic the, process? I understand that. But, I, okay, well then, who better than someone like him with all the resources and access to therapists? I mean, he could have gone through um, you know some sort of a rehabilitation process therapy, on something like, like this. Therapy. What I saw in that Gail um, King, uh, King interview was a sense of entitlement from R. Kelly, almost as if to say that you know he he went ahead and he beat the charges the first time. He's continued in this pattern of behavior, and just because it's the house of cards is coming down on him, it's everybody else's fault. It's these evil parents of these children that allowed him access to their daughters. They are and at fault in some they ways. Are, they are <laughs> certainly complicit. I think that they are his accomplices right, in these crimes against the children. Right, because the parents are the first line of defense of a child. Of course. But, I mean, Supposedly. What, but the anger that Hopefully. I saw, the defiance and the anger, to me, was rooted into his sense of entitlement, that because he's R. Kelly, because he's this great artist and he's rich and he's all these other that things. nobody should bother that, him with yeah, what he does. Leave him Lance, alone. What, Lance, yeah. what about that? I mean, we're, we also have to put him in context, too, from here. He's one of the, the largest, biggest selling uh, R&B artists of all mm -hmm. time. I mean, like, he had hit after hit after hit. I, I'll sit here and say, look, I, I love TP2.com. <laughs> I love, you know, R. Kelly's first album. But we can't put music over morality. And I do believe that, you know, sometimes popularity trumps righteousness a lot of times and especially when you look at this current situation powerful people let power go to their head and it's like what he was stating there's this sense of entitlement and when you have this sense of entitlement and when you have this much power like you're gonna do this to me who are you to do this to me and that was what was uh, given off in my opinion during the, the Gail King interview where he stood up and he was just yelling you know who I am it, it was sort of like and I read this article somewhere online it was sort of like 
Denzel Washington training day. Yeah. And I'm going to put charges yeah. on all you guys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, that's what, and that's what it appeared to come across like. Like, who do you think you are? I'm R. Kelly. You can't do this to me. And that comes from a sense of entitlement. It comes from a sense of power. And powerful people live in a delusional world where they feel as though they can do whatever they want and no one can tell them anything. And no one's going to do anything. What about the, de the kind of the dehumanization of, the, of these young women, too, Rochelle? Are you concerned about that when you look at the, the way... The girlfriends that he has? That the girlfriends and then, you know, it, it does seem... And I don't know if this is accurate or not, but it just it just seems that there, there there was over the years after the child pornography case that he was more careful about the age of the women that he was involved in, at least from what yeah. we know so far. But in terms of how he might have looked at these girls, um, what do you think about that? You know, I, my biggest thing with R. Kelly is the allegations of sexual child abuse. Um, I, I definitely feel. I think every. I think yeah, a lot of people think, feel that I, way. When I watched the docu series, you know, the girls that were underage and saying they were 15 or 13 or 14 years old when they met him, I was absolutely disgusted. The women that were more so um, in their 30s or you know mid 30s, late 20s, um, I felt like when I watched when I watched them, I felt like you could walk down any street in New York City and find a woman that um, unfortunately has been you know, brainwashed or appear to have been brainwashed washed by a man, and that's not necessarily um, a crime. Is it wrong? Yes, absolutely it's wrong, but is it, is it a crime? I don't think so. And so I have sympathy for these girls, but with the two girlfriends that were interviewed by Gail King, I was a little frustrated because I said, you know, to myself, there are girls that are really actually missing out here. I know that yes. these parents continuously say, oh, we want her to come home. We want her to come home. We don't know where she is. Well, at this point, all of America knows where these girls are. You know where they are. Right. You know, unfortunately, he might not. Uh, let them talk to you or be on the phone with you. He might be controlling them. But I think about little girls like um, uh, Trinity Jones, the little nine-year-old girl that was just found in a duffel bag in California who was missing. Her story's not getting any attention, and right. yet we're sitting here talking to two grown women about their alleged abusive relationship with an R&B artist. So That's it's like, where is it? Where, where do we draw the line? Julio, as you look at the media landscape, though, do you feel people, because I feel it on social media. I don't know if you feel it. We see it in the in the, the coverage yet that people are kind of separating the women that were you know that were of the above the age of consent versus the these very young girls who basically were children. Well, yeah, I think it does uh, does definitely need to be separated based on the fact that I mean you know younger women could be manipulated. I mean I think these women in a certain sense were brainwashed you know and I think it, it coerced possibly even by the parents to be nicer to this guy than they needed to be. Some of them I mean, and, and there is an element of where he could have been targeted. I mean, obviously, people know what his patterns of behavior are. You know, some parents may have been just too happy to offer up their daughters to him to, you know, maybe try to shake him down later on for money and try to blackmail him. So um, you, you do have to kind of look at it differently. But I think that, you know, R. Kelly himself, I think, is a manipulator, whether it's somebody who's above age or somebody who's underage. The fact that he's so rich, he's so powerful, he's so famous, it, it gives a, a, him an aura where he can go ahead and kind of force it, himself also upon make, these people. But being, being wealthy, being famous, being mm. a male in America, does that also make you a target, Lance? It can. Does it? It, it, it can make you a target, uh, but it does give you the privilege of exploiting people who are vulnerable. And unfortunately, it seems that the people who are most exploited in this country are people from low socioeconomic demographics. And when you have people True. from low socioeconomic demographics, it's easier to, you know, put that carrot in front of the horse and say, hey, do you want this? Do you want this? Because they've never had a carrot. 
and you see the carrot, the carrot looks good, you take a bite of the carrot, but the carrot comes with all of these, you know, conditions to it that you thought that you would never have to do. And then you get led down a rabbit hole and then there's your life. And unfortunately, I think that's what happens to a lot of people in this country, especially a lot of young women who come from backgrounds where there may not have been a father at home or, you know, the, your mother's working nine to five and overtime and can't be there to help you out and you have no one to look to. And then you see this guy with fame and fortune and that's the life that you've been dreaming of and you think this is a shortcut to success in life and therein lies the problem. And, the, and there it is like that. Rochelle, in, in terms of the in terms of the, the real issues here, because I think after the docuseries, a, a lot of a lot of people and a lot of us who cover these stories and you know fought for equality in, in terms of coverage mm -hmm. and when when it's these these sex sexual abuse cases, these horrific cases, is there was a lot of focus on the women. There was a lot of focus on the on the victims and the or survivors. Mm -hmm. And do you feel that that's shifted now? As far as you know, shifting into shifting away, and now it's all it's all about R. Kelly again. Yeah, it's all about R. Kelly now, and, and I I don't think that people are really taking this as an opportunity to really address sexual assault in the manner that the, it needs to be addressed. Um, I think that this is clickbait. Um, I think that R. Kelly's outburst made it uh, that much more popular, and that's what I mean. It's crazy because when my friends told me about the interview, because I didn't watch it live, I watched it later. Um, everyone was like, oh my gosh, did you see R. Kelly? He went off. And now people are making memes about it. Now it's funny, right? Right. You know, now it's funny. The it's entertainment. Funny. It's entertainment. I mean, you just had the SNL skit. It, you know, no, I, I love Leslie Jones and I love Keenan and everything. And, and I know it's a show, but it takes away from the seriousness of sexual assault and the abuse of women when you um, make it funny. But, you know, but I also understand that sometimes humor does kind of play off of the pains of our world and all those kind of things. So I, I'm not I'm, I'm not criticizing them for that. But it's just the reality that the sexual assault factor of this is is not a factor, at least in my what do you, what do you think view. about that, Julio, changing the changing the narrative on this? Well, I mean, I think it's time for a national conversation on things like, you know, sexual abuse. But I think that what winds up happening is you get a lot of opportunism in making these types of allegations. You know, like just to say, to speak to a point that we had referred to earlier, you know, if somebody, let's say, is running for public office, somebody can come out of the woodwork in their past with unsubstantiated claims. I mean, we saw what wound up happening in the Alabama special election in uh, 2017. Yes, and we, we've seen we've seen it happen in several different instances. But well, what what winds up happening? The election date passes. These women disappear. You know, you never never to be heard from again. I mean, uh, Judge Roy Moore actually filed charges in April of last year against his accusers. So because there was there was no substantiation for the claims that they were making, and it destroyed an election. Well, Lance, what about that? Like in in terms of the accusations, are we bl blurring the line between what's reality and what's you know what's reality according to the law and, and real legal issues? as opposed to media issues because it does seem I mean we have seen cases where these false allegations have been made or they haven't been followed up people make them in the media and the way the media is now everything you know every, it's unavoidable so you see that you see that so and so accused of this and you don't realize that there was no complaint there was no police report there was there's no evidence as a defense attorney i've seen false accusations happen routinely and i've been practicing law for quite some time and this is not to take away from the actual victims of sex abuse and domestic violence, but there's a large number of, you know, defendants who are arrested based on, you know, if you break up with someone, you, you hit me. Right. If you cheat on someone, you hit me. And these things, you can ask any defense attorney, you have these cases routinely, and it's unfortunate because it takes away from the validity of the actual 
you know, survivors of domestic violence and survivors of, you know, sex abuse. Then. But the issue is then when you add um, the media component on top of it. And a famous name. Then, you know, what are you going to do? You have to follow this thing through just to make sure. It's CYA. No judge is going to dismiss a case against someone unless they're absolutely 100% sure that the allegations are unfounded, even if it's more likely than not that this thing just didn't occur. Rochelle, we've seen police departments and, and with your law enforcement um, experience it, around the country become much more sensitive to d domestic, you know, to domestic violence or intimate partner violence, to sex abuse cases and, and this type of thing. But do you, how do you, how do you look at them when you see these cases in the media? Um, how do I look at the cases? As yeah, far like, as like in terms of what's real, what's not real. It's a famous man because if you're, uh, you know, I've had t conversations with very, very well-known men, and they're like, I'm afraid, you know, I'm just, I haven't done anything wrong, but it's just, you rethink, like, I just got to be extra careful now. Yeah, I think people do have to be Men say extra, that. I think people have to be extra careful now, especially with this, this hashtag Me Too uh, movement that is that is going on. Men, I just think... They, you know, sometimes men just don't understand how sometimes their behavior um, can make a woman feel uncomfortable. And so I think there does need to be, um, you know, better education uh, for men to understand, like, how their behavior in the workplace or how their behavior when a woman is walking down the street um, makes them feel uncomfortable. Now, does that mean that every man is, you know, a, a rapist or, you know, a womanizer? Absolutely not. It, at some point, you have to recognize men are men, and they're going to be men. Um, but I, I think that when we see these cases uh, in the press, I, I think there was a case in, in here in New York where a girl had accused two athletes of raping her. Um, you might remember this. It was a it was a white female. She accused two black athletes of raping her, and she ended up being sentenced uh, to a year for lying. You should. Right, and she absolutely should have been. Right. I think that anyone 100%. who accuses, who falsely accuses a man of sexual assault or rape uh, should face the consequence, criminal consequences. Um, but the problem is, is that it doesn't go away. So when you talk about these high-profile cases, and, it, and it, even if you're talking about some college it's athletes, it's in, it's in the, in the Google, Google search for, forever, for and ever and ever and ever. All right, right. we're going to take a short break. <laughs> oh. um, this is Street Soldiers. We'll be right back. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Rotimi. You're listening to Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Yes, sir. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the R. Kelly Media Circus. Can he get a fair trial? Joining me for this conversation is Julio Rivera. He's a political columnist, media consultant, and Republican strategist. Julio, great to have you with us. Thank you again. Thank you. Also with us is Rochelle Ritchie. She's a political analyst and former congressional press secretary. Rochelle, great to have you with us. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Lance Clark. He's a criminal defense attorney with Bernstein, Clark, and Moskowitz. I want to ask all of you, what is real evidence today? And how do we know if it's real evidence when people are coming forward with different claims? We just saw a man claim that he found an old VHS tape from the 1990s in his home that he thought was a sports tape, that he was apparently going back and reviewing his old videotapes watched it, and then as, like halfway through or at some point in the tape, it turns into what he says was R. Kelly allegedly abusing at least two very, very young-looking girls. There was a press conference with Gloria Allred. Um, she believes this is more evidence. It was turned over supposedly to the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District, which they would not comment on anything um, about it. And 
here's this another supposed sex tape and it's big headlines and it's big national news and Lance is that evidence do we, how do we even know if that's worth covering I guess the short answer to the question is evidence is whatever the judge says evidence is uh, you know attorneys try all the time to get evidence admitted and you know there's a balancing test is it more probative is it prejudicial you know is it relevant you know, there's a lot of standards that it takes to get a piece mm -hmm. of potential evidence admitted as evidence um, in terms of the videotape that was on VHS look I, I mean the VHS is probably the same place where Brett Kavanaugh's calendar was you know you, what makes you go look at this thing and say hey let me fast forward oh wow look there's R. Kelly abusing women and if it really was about doing the right thing then the right thing you know probably would have been turning over that VHS tape to the police or to the authorities was he technically in this? This was one of our Instagram questions, big Instagram questions. Was he technically in in possession of child pornography? I mean, if they wanted I, I, to be I, real stickler, I haven't seen the. I mean, the if video. there was, if there was, if there really were, there are a lot of ifs. If there really were underage girls, if there really is a videotape, were the. Well, I mean, I is guess that the could be made for temporary possession if you weren't aware that this was in your possession, and as soon as you became aware of this, you turned it over to the proper authorities. Say, hey. I don't know where this thing came from. This was in my house, but I'm giving it to you guys to let you know I had nothing to do with this. I, mean, I guess the argument could be made for that. Julio, what did you think when you heard that story? Well, I mean, I, I think that anything, just to get back to the original question, anything that is shows evidence of a crime being committed, I think, is legitimate evidence. Now, how he went about going ahead and, and exposing it, how many people saw it, did he distribute it to anyone else, those are all legitimate questions. You know, but I mean, as, as far as your, um, you know, whether or not he was in possession of child pornography, first of all, we don't even know who the girls are, and even if they were underage at that time. Right. But I mean, it should definitely uh, be admissible. Um, I don't think that they should, you know, his lawyer should be able to work to try to get that thrown out. If he did actually commit sexual acts with underage women, it should definitely be part that's of the his, trial. That's the lawyer's job, to work to get it thrown out. I mean, that, that's what you, you, the Sixth of Amendment course, requires yeah. you to, you know, adequate and competent counsel. Of course, I'd be fighting tooth and nail to get that thing thrown out. Yeah, but I mean, but, but there's a moral lines of whether is that really the right thing to do? Unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately, morality doesn't come into play in the justice. The laws—it's following but, the law. Well, it's following the law. But <laughs> Rochelle, what, what about? But here's the other question too. Let's say, assume it's real, and it was—you know—it does show these two, these these two underage girls, and it really is R, R. Kelly. If that's the case, the those two women are now probably in their late 30s or 40s, and maybe put these incidents behind them, maybe got therapy, maybe, you know, for what they went through and that type of thing. Is it right to bring them back into this? Um, I think that you have to bring them back into it. I mean, I don't think that, you know, they would really have any sort of choice. Now, I think they have a choice as far as if they testify um, against R. Kelly or not, unless I guess they would get a subpoena and then they'd be forced to testify, if I'm not mistaken. But other than that, you know, some women do, you know, as we've seen in, in most of the cases against R. Kelly of things that we've heard where women just did not want to talk or they didn't want to come forward and they've moved on. They're married. They have children. They don't exactly. want to drag their family into this. But, you know, there are a lot of people that are out here right now in possession of R. Kelly tapes. That I lived in Chicago. That tape was selling on street corners. Mm. The one and that he was the one, the first, the original in New York one, yes. too. The in original too. one. It, it was selling on street corners in Chicago and New York. So there are a lot of people in many other um, places. I'm in sure. many other places. And this is the other thing. I know that you know people. Um, they talked about in the docu series about Aaliyah and how he married Aaliyah and she was young. 
I think the reason why now, especially at my age that I see this and I just think it's disgusting, is that now I'm old enough to understand. At the time, I was pretty much the same age as Aaliyah or maybe a few years younger. And I looked at Aaliyah when she was singing Age Ain't Nothing But a Number. I looked at her as 18 at that point. Right. And then when you become a 37-year-old woman and you look at her, you're like, she's a child. And I think that's why you're starting to see more people, especially in the African-American community, uh, be very upset about it. You know, prosecutors take that into consideration in terms of offering plea deals to defendants because they don't want the victims of the crime to have to relive the offenses by putting them on the stand and be subjected to cross-examination. So it's not, it's not something that a defense attorney and a prosecutor takes lightly when in terms of you know, having a victim get on the stand and have to relive this experience that they have more likely than not put behind them and moved on with their life. Well, there has to be some sort of finality, though, to it, dude, because this is now the second time that this is coming up. If they don't send a message to, you know, R. Kelly now, it's only probably going to be a matter of a, another couple of years before these types of allegations are come before up again. Continue, continue exactly. Shouldn't we, shouldn't, we shouldn't we be holding, shouldn't we, go ahead. I'll just stress the word, allegations, right? It's allegations. So allegations. He hasn't been found guilty. Well, I mean, I saw I saw the old video, and it looked pretty clear to me that well, he was being <laughs> what he was being accused well, the, of. Yeah, he actually the, the committed. Mother, the parents so of the girl, said, the girl said acquitted. that wasn't her in it. That, which yeah. he was acquitted. He was acquitted. For. So we can't. Which he was. Which he was acquitted, yes. and no. he has not been convicted of any of these crimes. But Lance, are you worried that if he goes, uh, for, first of all, knowing what you know, you know, from watching his attorney Steve Greenberg. Do, what do you think are what are the next steps in this case? Do you think they're going to try to make a plea deal? Do you think R. Kelly is going to pull the Gail King of the legal maneuvers and go, I want a trial, and it's just going to turn into an even bigger circus? You know, any competent defense attorney would have to actually take a look at the evidence first before they can make a and determination see what they have. like that. And I'm assuming his lawyers, I'm hope, I'm sure his lawyers are doing the same thing. The only critique that I would have had is I would have never allowed him to go on that show and act the way he acted. He could have had the best, you know, performance of his life, but it would have just been that, a performance. And all of those things that he said, everything that he said would have been mm -hmm. subject to be brought into his criminal trial. It can be, it can brought, be brought in, again. right? And as a defense attorney, and his behavior. you never know what your defense is going to be. Sometimes you don't know what your defense is going to be until the opening statement is, because you have to see how the prosecution's case is going to know how you're going to defend that. And sometimes when you have prior statements from your client that are on the media. What about prior videotapes? Does he do you do you think his lawyer like or his legal team that there's they have been sending out investigators trying to find out what's out there or I would hope so. Or just waiting for the next press conference. No, I mean you have to see what, what the validity of that tape is. Is that tape an actual tape of R. Kelly? Right. When was that tape recorded? And with technology these days, I'm sure they can, you know, deduce all right, when was this thing filmed? Where was this thing filmed at? Um, is this actually R. Kelly? Is that actually a young woman? Who is this woman? I wonder why he decided to get an attorney. Like, like you said earlier, he could have just went to the police station. You're talking about the man that found the, the man that found, found the, the videotape video in Philadelphia that he says was R. That he said is R. R. Kelly. Kelly. I just wonder, especially Gloria Alred. Like she's, I mean, she's a high-profile attorney, and it seems to me that if you found this tape, you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do? The first thing I'm not going to think is call Gloria. I'm going to think, okay, let me take it to the police. So I wonder if, because of the po possibility of him being char charged with possession, that he's decided to come out and sort of, you know, I'm trying to be the hero, I'm trying to help, to avoid any sort of, you know, implications that he might face. And I think there's more people... Yeah, he could have did that too. He could have sent it anonymously. But I think that R. Kelly is not the only one that is 
potentially, I'll say potentially guilty in this. Anyone that helped him get the phone number of a young girl, anyone that's booked the hotel and knew he was in the room with a young girl, yep. every last one of them is accountable for what hap potentially or allegedly Including happened the to these and young also, girls. And Julio, yes, excellent point. And Julio also, too, technology-wise, too, when this was these tapes were allegedly being made, in the 1990s too, it's like you really had to have someone that knew how to use a camera. Mm -hmm. You had to have a camera. You couldn't just do a do a Bluetooth, you know, signal and, and turn mm -hmm. your video. And there's not really necessarily a digital timestamp on that either. So that's another thing that may come into play depending on oh, yeah. how close the age is. How close were these people to the age of consent? These women, you know, if they could be just over, just under. If there's not a digital timestamp of when the video was taken. That may come into play, too. I mean, to get back to the Gail King, uh, King interview, though, I think he, he may have done that also and uh, to uh, kind of contaminate the jury pool. Because then you got a video going viral. Is it going to be easier to find an actual jury? Does that compel the prosecution to maybe give him an easier deal, you know, a, a more palatable deal to avoid he, trial? I don't think he did himself any favors with that Gail King. He, didn't. he contaminated the jury pool against him to convict them, I believe. You know, the jury but, but it's supposed to be impartial, though. Once everybody's seen that video, it's going to be harder to find jurors that are at how, least how, not how familiar would you find with your, it. How would you find jurors? How would you find Rochelle, them? How would yeah. you find jurors, Rochelle? Mm -hmm. uh, there's, I mean, I don't know. And especially in <laughs> Chicago, I mean. Right, exactly, that's in a Chicago, point. And, like and the key star. is, is we have to remember that it took six years for that original, for him to go to trial for the first, for the first um, allegation. It was six years before they even went to trial. So one of the, it seemed like that was one of the strategies of his, of the attorneys then. And I wonder if that's going to be the strategy now, because six years from now, you know, we're going to be talking about something else and people are going to tend to forget about it. To wait it out. It. To wait it wait out. out the clock. Exactly. Mm -hmm. which people tend to forget. Now, you might remember the shirt and tie that I have on today. You may remember it tomorrow. But in a week from now, are you going to remember it? Now, Not I in think today's it, society. Exactly. You have so, you're getting bogged with so many pictures on social media, on media, on TV, especially in New York City when you walk around, you see things all the time. <laughs> so and and as, one scandal's like scandal du jour. As, as time elapses, so does one's memory. And the longer it takes to, for an allegation to go to trial, sometimes that's a strategic move on a part of the defense because it's helpful for your client. So you're saying they might try to wait to try to drag this out, which is going to take time anyway. But especially maybe. when I think he has ten counts and it's multiple states and the IRS, different, the FBI, different alleged victims, yeah. and, support, and all I mean. that. Julio, what do you think? Wait it out. I think that, yeah, I think that's probably his best legal strategy. I think at the end of the day, we're probably going to wind up with either the charges being dropped or he's going to get a deal where he's not, he's not going to get found guilty and, and convicted of what he actually committed but something far lesser. Something like that. All right, I want to thank all of you for being with mm -hmm. us for thank this episode of Street thank Soldiers. So Julio Rivera, thanks so much for being with us. Rochelle Ritchie, great to have you with us. Thank you. And Lance Clark, great to have you. Thank, thank you. you so much. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace.